This is Mental, the podcast to destigmatize mental health. I'm Bobby Temps. I'm Danny Hogan. Each Thursday, we delve into a factor or condition that influences the mind and how to better manage it. With special guests and stats you can trust, here we go. This week, we're talking all about the theme of burnout with a wonderful guest called Dr. Amy O'Hanna, who is a professor of clinical mental health counselling at the University of Western States, who has nearly two decades in the counselling industry with her own private practice and is also the director of two counselling training clinics, so is a counsellor of counsellors, quite literally, and was an incredible person to talk through this ever-popular theme with. Truly, whenever we talk about burnout, it ends up being one of the most popular episodes of the year. And I think that's a reflection of how common this experience is, how difficult it is to wrap your head around. And I think talking to today's guest, I certainly found a lot of answers, but what there isn't is, you know, some magical shortcut, like this one thing, like just uh, lift your right arm above your head and just wiggle your fingers and we'll feel less burnt out. I fucking wish. But what she shares about her own experiences of overcoming multiple bouts of burnout and also empowering her clients to do the same. I found really impactful and I think a big part of that was that in today's episode I was feeling pretty burnt out that I've taken on a lot of extra work lately and it's things that I'm really excited about really makes my heart sing but also the hours are really getting packed and I've got a lot of deadlines that are out of my control and a lot of pressure around that and so it's this contrast of I'm really loving the work I'm doing and I know that it's extra busy right now but in a few months it's it's going to calm down again but also right now I still need to make sure to carve out time for self-care for rest days even when there can be this kind of pressure to constantly be productive And in the episode, actually, we get into some of the pressures I've been noticing about that through the pandemic, that maybe a lot of us went into elements of homeworking, assuming that we would be less productive. And, you know, the worry of that and the attempts to kind of counterbalance it by maybe doing overtime and seeing the lines blur between like our, our home life and our work life has been really exhausting and I think has exacerbated for a lot of people these pressures to be always productive and everything can be measured. You know, my phone, literally, I had to turn it off. It's sending me a message every week telling me how much I've been on the screen because I was like, I do not need another yardstick to judge myself via and set, you know, targets for using my phone more or less. Often I've just been traveling and that's why I'm using it more because I need the navigation apps. I don't know. I think maybe it's a surprising platform for me of all people to take. But I think sometimes there's such a thing as reading too much into things, too much analysis. There's certain things we don't need to delve into and that is that is fine as well. And so I can feel myself rambling a little bit, but it feels important to address that in this conversation... I had had a busy day. You know, this was my second interview of the day. 
I'd also been working on other projects back to back before that. You know, I was recording this in the evening, like I often record podcast episodes. And you may be able to tell, you may be able to tell in my voice that, you know, even now I'm feeling uplifted by the conversation, but also, you know, I've got a bit of a headache coming on. And I am feeling that energy of this is my last thing of the day to do, and I want to give it my all. But it's also important for me to be honest. And, you know, I never want to come from a preachy place of I have all the answers and I'm all fixed. I think that can be quite unhealthy when it comes to mental health. And so instead, yeah, this is the reality. Burnout is important to examine. I can attest to it personally right now. And, you know, there are things we can do to work our way. (laughs) I nearly said to work our way out of it. There you go. Is that phrase telling something? Is that a Freudian slip that shows how much work is at the centre of my life? Hmm. We'll unpack that later. But for now, I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode with Dr. Amy O'Hanna and getting to revisit the theme of burnout, which I think like any of our themes that we, we've covered a few times, I always want to make an effort to come at it from a different perspective and having guests makes that a hell of a lot easier because each person's experiences are so distinct and in this conversation Amy really does like get into the the range of situations that have been you know burnout crises for her and you know what she's been able to do about them enjoy the listen definitely check out our other episodes on burnout as well they've been popular for a reason so for now we'll get into this one but first Who's our sponsor? Let's find out. I get to learn so much from our wonderful guests and this episode is no different. And in addition to the learnings, a lot of the things that come up in the conversations do get me questioning elements of like my own mental health and things that I need to work on. So it's such an asset to have a wonderful counsellor in my life who I can chat to more and have, you know, those therapeutic conversations where we get to work through a lot of, you know, the insights and find ways through even the most challenging situations. And an option that I love to talk about because it is so accessible is BetterHelp, who are currently supporting the show as a sponsor for the rest of the year, which has never happened before which is such a wonderful new experience to have an organisation throw their weight behind us and, you know, support the continuation of what we do because they believe in it and they respect it and they see how our missions are aligned. And I very much feel the the same way. BetterHelp can get you set up with a counsellor in less than two days. It's really speedy. It's all digitally based, which is definitely where I see a lot of the counselling industry going. And within that, there's options for phone therapy. You can message back and forth with your therapist. You can set up video calls. You can set a frequency of the sessions that works for your schedule and have the flexibility that comes with doing this digitally. And on top of all of that, this can be more competitively priced than certainly a lot of the private options that are out there and available so definitely worth giving a look to like we've talked about on the show whatever your reason get in therapy and (laughs) you will likely find once you're in it plenty more reasons why you should be there and things that you can work on and find such empowerment through 
the process of being matched with the right therapist. If you find that's not the case via BetterHelp, you can swap out and try someone else and see how you connect with them and find your ideal match for free with minimal hassle. So to check it out for yourself, visit betterhelp.com slash mental health. That is our special link as one of our listeners to get 10% off your first month. So visit betterhelp.com slash mental health and get the support you deserve today. My name is Dr. Amy O'Hanna, and I am a licensed professional counselor in Oregon, United States. How did I even become interested in writing about burnout? Well, I have to say that as many of our passions or our interests come from, it touched me personally when I was in my early 20s. I had graduated with a baccalaureate degree in psychology, and I entered my profession as a social worker, working with teenagers who were in the foster care system, and I was gonna save the world. I was full of energy and passion and excitement, and I thought I knew it all, I thought I had the answers, and I found out really quickly that was not going to be the case. My savior mentality was not going to work. And I found myself in the state where I had to literally figure out how to save myself. Otherwise, I wasn't going to be any good for anyone. My relationships were suffering. My work was suffering. I wasn't productive. I was physically unhealthy. I was tired. And so I thought, well, to save myself, I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to go back to school and get an MBA and forget this social work stuff because clearly I can't make any difference at all. So the best option for me at this point would be to go back to grad school and figure out a career where I could basically serve myself or save myself for all this money I was going to make with a business degree. So I started studying for the GMAT and which is the call the entrance examination for business school. And it just was a dread for me, but I was going to force myself to do it because money was going to save me. Hmm. And in that process, through serendipitous events, I was drawn back into the counseling profession. And I really struggled and wrestled with myself in that decision, knowing that my heart was calling me to a vocation or a career of service and compassion and helping. Whereas my head was saying, don't do that, Amy. That's just going to get you tired and burned out and in trouble. So I had a big wrestle and a big struggle and eventually my heart won. And Mm so I knew in my mid twenties, I had to enter the field of helping, teaching, writing, but I had to do it in a way where I was going to stay healthy insane, quite literally, and manage the stress and the, not just the, the workload stress and, and the, the trauma stories I knew I would hear, but to manage my internal stress, my internal struggle, I would have to find a way how to do that. So I ended up going back to get my master's and eventually my doctorate in counseling. And then 
when I studied and wrote my doctoral dissertation, I, not surprisingly, studied vocational burnout, and that's what I wrote my dissertation on. So that is how I entered the field Wow. and got interested in the topic of burnout. Yes, and like you alluded to there, it's not surprising to me that you had this personal connection to it, and I think that's so common. It's so common for why a lot of people get into being a therapist it's so common why a lot of people have particular specialisms that they have across the board and I'm kind of curious to trace back even further to you falling into this common trap of burnout where you do all the right things on the outside that you get a certain job you you appear to you know be getting a career off the ground you've studied all of these things that can be expectations on us from a young age you tick off and then you reach a point where the very thing that supposedly is is you doing everything right is what is making your day-to-day so insufferable. So when you look back now, can you trace back where your kind of expectations of work life and how the work-life balance should be came from? Yes, Bobby, I, I can. I am an oldest child. And I was born to a middle-class family that highly valued education. I was told at the age of six, you will go to college, which bless my parents for that. I'm very grateful for that influence on my life. I was also raised very religiously. And I think I learned from a very young age to perform, to get straight A's, to be an achiever and equate my worth with that performance and achievement. And at the age of 18, when I entered college, I I didn't really have an awareness of that. All I knew was that I was going to college and I was going to work hard and I was going to succeed in my career. And I think now as I've studied burnout, the literature actually shows that there is a big connection with personal characteristics and burnout and people who are high achievers, who value performance, who value success, and who perhaps come from environments where the outside or the external is supported and encouraged and maybe even perceived as more valued. I think those are the types of of folks that may be more predisposed to burnout. I know I certainly was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I've seen a lot of the literature around the echo chamber that can exist where so many of the academics studying burnout are in academic environments where burnout is most right. And it's like, you know, you're doing the research about the very thing that you're living in. And it is so common. And yet I'm so glad that you've reaffirmed it because so often the stigmatizing narratives can be, oh, maybe this person wasn't cut out for this role. There's like a a temptation to try and scapegoat genuine struggle with some kind of excuse of maybe they don't belong here versus, oh no, burnout is a thing that is so widespread. And I think at times maybe we feel the need to hide from that because if we realized that everyone in our workplace is burnt out, we'd be like, what what do we do now? (laughs) We can't all have time off. Exactly. I can definitely relate to that story, just being an academic and studying burnout, but also just experiencing it myself and feeling like maybe I had to hide it. Just sort of a funny little side note. I remember 
when I was close to finishing my dissertation, I would literally get physically ill thinking about having to sit down and work on it and, and pick it up again because I was burned out on my dissertation about burnout. <laughs> I was so burned out on it. Honestly, I, I think after I finished it, I stuck it in my file drawer and didn't pull it out for, for a while after that. Mm-hmm. But regarding just working in an environment that is high stress and high performance and making yourself look good on the outside, I think, and I have witnessed both myself and many of my colleagues in states of burnout where they did reach a point where they had to take a break, exit, or maybe they were, or they did something that was maybe unethical or perceived as unprofessional. And there was sort of this mentality of, well, they can't do the job anymore. And that's a sad day because we can lose really good professionals and really good people who are sort of stigmatized as not having it all together or not competent when really we need to be saying very clearly, they are in a state of crisis. If I am burned out, I am in a state of crisis, just like any other physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational crisis that someone may experience. And as someone in crisis, it's important to stop and attend to that, as well as receive the support from colleagues, from our fields, our professions, and our environment to help that person work through their burnout crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's it because it's so all-encompassing. And if you look at a list of symptoms, there's so many elements that we can all relate to. And to see a list of symptoms that can take over your whole life and you can be experiencing so many of them at once and know how common it is that people are in that state of burnout you know, is really worrying. Like one of the reasons we talk about it a lot on the show is because every time we do an episode on burnout, it becomes one of our most popular for that year. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today to see ways in which we can kind of move that conversation forward in a time when we have been through a lot of big life changes with the pandemic and a lot of examining of what was working in our life before and what wasn't. But before I ask you about that, would you mind sharing a bit more about your own personal experience of when burnout was the worst for you, what kind of symptoms of that you were experiencing and how aware you were at the time of this is what it is? Sure. I would say I've I've experienced a couple of seasons of burnout in my professional career at different times and for different reasons always related to occupational distress. So that is the very first symptom for people to be aware of in that burnout often looks like a physical or mental health crisis. And it is because we have those same symptoms, but the etiology or the cause, the root, what creates burnout is one's occupation or vocation. If you can trace those symptoms or link them back to your occupation, then you're really looking at burnout versus maybe major depressive disorder or an anxiety disorder, although certainly you may have those symptoms. And the reason it's important to differentiate that is because the treatment is different. If you are burned out, your treatment, the approach to resolve it 
might be a little different than your approach to resolving a clinical depression or anxiety. In that, you can experience lots of different symptoms and they're different for everyone. I will say my most recent bottle burnout, which did happen post-pandemic or during the pandemic, not post-pandemic, about two months into the pandemic, very obviously, just like everyone else in the world, my work life stress had increased by a hundredfold and my sense of support and isolation had also simultaneously increased along with that. And so I found myself working from home, trying to manage this whole program from my computer keyboard in my kitchen without Mm -hmm. seeing anyone's real eyeballs for months. You know, I had my parents close by and, and they were a great support, but as far as the usual day-to-day things I would do for support. I could get out and go for a walk and that was great, but that support system was limited. So the symptoms that I experienced were difficulty sleeping, just an increased sense of cynicism and sarcasm, not caring about details that I typically would have cared about, giving myself cognitive messages of, oh, everyone's in crisis. It's okay if this slides. It's okay if my workout routine slides. It's okay if I swear a little more, even though it may not be so professional to do that on a Zoom class, just letting things that I typically would care a lot about, just letting them go. Mm-hmm. I think those are the big symptoms that that pop out to me the most. I'm sure I'll remember a few mm-hmm. as we're talking Yeah. And I think a lot of those share that element of being at capacity of you are having to filter out certain things you'd normally care about as a way to survive how exhausted you are, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally. And I guess this is why burnout is is so relatable, which in some ways is good in communicating it and having conversations about it. Even if people aren't that familiar with the term, we all have a vague understanding of it. But then perhaps the flip side of that is that a lot of this can go under the radar and you can have that mentality you describe of, okay, well, we're all stressed here. And so do I have the right to do anything about it or do I just need to work even harder? That is such a great capture of that experience, of the burnout experience in that you feel, I felt so, so at capacity and over capacity to the point where my head and my heart were just flooded. And it is so easy to say, to make those, send those messages to yourself where everyone's feeling like this. So maybe I don't deserve to stop and attend to myself. And yeah. I think I think that's common, whether we have a pandemic or not, I think that's a common reaction to burnout in that I just need to buckle down and do better, work harder, reorganize my schedule, do what it takes to get through because I've got to get, I got to do this. Mm-hmm. I agree. And yet I feel like something a lot of people experienced with the pandemic was very distinctive where we're all facing this communal threat and we're constantly being reminded through news media, through like people we know, through our first-hand experiences of what we're going through and, and those close to us, that there are a lot of people out there that are in worse positions. And, you know, that can be a difficult thing for a lot of people to wrap their head around of it can be both true that there are so many people in worse 
positions within a shared situation and yet you still have the right to feel your feelings, make adjustments, have the rights to self-care and time off and all these other things. And that's something that it's kind of horrible even to like think back on those times when we were in lockdown and we were just in front of a screen feeling so inadequate and knowing that so many people out there were in horrible states of ill health because of this virus were unable to be there to with people in their last moments were unable to grieve in you know funeral gatherings in the way we we would expect there were so many horrible things happening in the world and you know that can create a kind of numbness and then we're faced with a screen and trying to find motivation to do a job within this context of chaos mm-hmm Even that in itself is both exacerbating the burnout, but I think also tipped a lot of people into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what came up for me, Bobby, as you were just sharing that is how the pandemic was an extreme stressor, but it was also a trauma at the Mm -hmm. same time because we were collectively as as citizens of of the world exposed to death and sickness and how difficult that just was for so many people and adding on to the stress that was already there to the point where it would be so hard to even just be in tune with oneself to the point of acknowledgement of, wow, I am burned out or wow, I have needs to attend to. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like I don't have the right to do that if I'm healthy and I have a a paycheck still yeah and there's so many places in the world where this is an even more current conversation we're in a position where a lot of the restrictions have been lifted a lot of progress has been made with vaccines and the like and yet I think there's still no matter how far forward your country or your city is there's still this overhang and that's one of the things I kind of want to explore with you of how we also navigate coming out of that time that I totally agree that was such a trauma for so many people and in many ways it's still kind of going on because it woke us up to certain things that maybe we were ignoring you know maybe there were certain things that were making our work lives insufferable and switching from working in the office where that's normalized to sitting in your own bedroom in front of a screen all day For a lot of people, that was the thing that made them question, oh, do I want to still be doing this job? Is this for me? You know, there was this, I don't know, it felt like a conspiracy at times that, you know, oh, it's it's meant to be easier. You're sat at home, you're cosy. And I don't know many people where the reality was working from home was easier. And, you know, it made it so much harder to have certain boundaries and leave work at work when... I mean, it's certainly a lot of young people were disproportionately working and sleeping in the same room. Even just that fact speaks volumes to me, just in the sense of of how I just get this sense of like this meteor hitting someone in their living room of like, my whole life is here. And sadly, my whole life is here. Like I have to Mm -hmm. work here, sleep here, eat here, work out here, parent here, take care of my dog here. And I can't leave here. And so how trapped. And, and and I felt that too, just feeling very trapped and very stuck. Yeah. 
And then by contrast, we come out of a lot of the restrictions and so many people, very much myself included, are talking about how we don't feel we maybe had the same energy for the things we did before. We look at our pre-pandemic life and wonder how we did race around and how we did uphold so many social connections and have so much, at times, patience for people. And I wonder, even with that, how we draw the line between how much of that is burnout, how we're feeling right now as we return to elements of normality. That is such a good question. And I have to admit, I don't know the answer. And I certainly wouldn't know the answer for every person. But what comes up for me is thinking about the differentiation between burnout and trauma, and they can be overlapped. Burnout comes from work. Trauma comes from exposure to events that threaten one's safety. They can certainly overlap for sure, especially if you work in an occupation where like military or healthcare, where your physical safety is threatened. Thinking about how to sort through all of that, I think is an important first step. And also really just thinking about meaning, how one makes meaning of their life. Oftentimes people, not all the time, but many times people select careers or vocations that are deeply meaningful to them, that they feel called to do, or they feel like they're very productive doing it, or they derive a personal sense of meaning from engaging in that work. And when that sense of meaning is altered, certainly that does create burnout. And then one of the pieces of resolving trauma, just in trauma psychotherapy work, is one of the final stages is finding meaning of the trauma, finding a new normal in one's life or making meaning of who am I now and after this Mm -hmm. event and what does that mean for my contribution to my community, my family, my world? Yes, it's so tricky. And I think even within that, there's a kind of pressure because you use the term new normal. And I don't know how people are feeling in the States, but certainly here, people are so sick of that term because it is being discussed so much. And there is this expectation that we have to get to some kind of normality, which I think A, assumes that things were normal before. We only need to look at politics or so many examples to know there was a lot that needed to change in the before times. But also there's this pressure to to figure out, okay, I've got to get back to normal. And I don't know if that's maybe a fair expectation that I think things have changed and we need to, so the new bit I accept. Mm-hmm. But normal is, normal is, am I getting too existential? Normal is harder to grapple with at a time when it feels like there's still so much happening in the world and Ukraine Mm. is obviously a major part of that. I think a lot of people have come out of the most intense restrictions of the pandemic with a lot of questions about what their work life means going forward. And a lot of people have moved jobs. And that has been a silver lining from my perspective to see how many people did have certain space to reflect and the the disruption maybe brought up things that people needed to confront. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a real range between those people that have, have found answers on what next. And I think it's also so understandable that a lot of us are still very much figuring it out mm-hmm. and that new normal doesn't feel something relatable at all yet. That is such a good 
point. And I can definitely go existential with you if you, if you <laughs> want to go there. That's totally my jam. So I wonder if, let me just propose this, and this is not a, a thought that's fully formed, but instead of using the term new normal, maybe we can use a term like homeostasis, finding your rhythm mm-hmm. and whatever that means for you. If you um, need to find a rhythm where you're still processing what happened or processing through the traumas, that's great. If you want to find a new rhythm or homeostasis of peace or joy, that's great. Or a new homeostasis of something totally brand new, you pick up and move to Costa Rica or wherever it is, that's okay for you too. Mm. I like that approach. And yeah, I I moved during the pandemic and it's been such a wonderful decision so far. And I had a chat with my own counsellor only recently about that where she she kind of made a sort of, it wasn't her main point, but in working up to the point, she said something like, oh, well, where you were living before wasn't bad, but you were ready for something different. And I'd never said it to her in that way. I'd not even framed it in my head that way because for me it was weighing up, okay, what sort of things in Dublin, what sort of things in Birmingham and you know I I knew that I wanted to move at least for a period of time and it was very kind of logical and you know maybe I needed that reminder that actually it's allowed to be non-linear we're allowed to come out of certain experiences with an exacerbated yearning for change and that not necessarily Mm. needing to follow a logic you know if you want to go work for this bank, you previously worked for this bank, you're moving to the the same role. It's new. Maybe the newness is all you need. I absolutely love that. I can absolutely support that. (laughs) Yeah. And so for you personally, were there changes you've made? Because you've described how you've been through several phases of burnout, and I'm sure you learned a lot from, from each of them. So what kind of things have you implemented as changes to, to try and save off burnout in the future and where are you at with going forward now well in the last three years my life has completely changed I had a major family change and then the pandemic and then also about six months into the pandemic the west coast of the United States particularly Oregon suffered severe wildfires mm-hmm. like to the point where I had never seen them before And those two events in particular were literally wake-up calls for me. And I decided to, I was working at a very prestigious university, Research One University, and I decided to quit that job because it wasn't, um, it was an amazing job and I, I loved it. And there was something missing in my heart connection in that work. So I quit that job. I went to work teaching for the University of Western States, which is an online program in clinical mental health counseling. And I decided to buy a very small and dilapidated fixer-upper. And um, as a single woman, learn how to run a table saw and try to fix up this house and write and uh, teach And then I adopted a little dog too. So my whole life in the last three years looks very different. And it's a very simple life and quiet life from the outside, but it just brings me a lot of joy. 
And I had to go through my own process of all these things on the outside look good and they're good things to achieve and succeed in life. But is it really bringing me that passion? Is it engaging that passion? Is it filling my heart in the way that I want it to? Because now in midlife and with all of these things that are happening in our world, I felt like I had to make some very intentional decisions about how I was going to spend my time. Mm -hmm. And that's so tricky because it kind of references what we started off talking about of the expectations we can have from so young of what our what our life will be and what will be positively reflected back at us. You know, certain behaviours mm-hmm. will get acceptance from the people around us. And even in describing it there, you talked about the decision you made and then you also referenced, oh, from the outside, it looks like this and it's so difficult to kind of ever remove that you know ever Mm -hmm. not take into account that perspective and yet so often I think when I talk to friends about burnout and you know certain changes that have been necessary to make they ultimately are changes for them Mm -hmm. they're the things that they needed to do to reshape their life in a way that they can thrive better and that's what we really want there can be all these shorthands and stereotypes and expectations. But I think when it comes down to it, what do we actually want for our family and friends' lives? We want them to be happy and to be coping well. Yeah, and it's so personal, as you mentioned, in that we as humans in our in our psyche, in our just what we offer to the world, we are unique. And in that uniqueness, we have to discover that for ourselves and how we feel the most whole. When we feel split off or broken apart, and that can happen anytime we say yes to something we really want to say no to deep down. It can happen when we don't live our authentic true self, how we express ourselves, lots of different ways where we become fragmented and split off. And it's the process of collecting those pieces back into ourselves and saying, this is who I am, this is what I love, and who I love, this is what I'm passionate about, and this is how I choose to spend my time, and to do that with purpose, and just with, from the sense of just whole uh, inner strength, where you can just stand up strong and proud and say, this is me, mm. and this is my choice. It might not be your choice, and I respect your choice, and you're free to make your choice, and this is my choice. Yeah, I love that. I think there's so much to be said for being able to stand up and say, this is the life I created. This is the life I wanted. Mm. And, you know, that's so empowering, I think, in ways that we don't even maybe realise when we're living it, because we can be so caught up in the expectations. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of them that is so prevalent is this kind of constant thriving for productivity. Mm -hmm. And I think... At times that can be exacerbated by technology, which supposedly was created to free up people's time, to take out a lot of the the tasks that were boring and repetitive and allow us to be creative, be the, the overseers of a lot of these tasks. And instead, I don't know about you, but it can feel like whatever time we save seems to get filled with emails and <laughs> other technologically placed repetitive tasks. Mm-hmm. So it's I, I sometimes wonder how helpful tech has been broadly. And a big part of this is the expectation of productivity. 
that even if we do end up with free time, well, what are we doing with it? And so did you have to kind of unpick that when you were even working on your house and being like, oh, this is both where I live and is so essential. And yet I can also find myself thinking, I've been hammering away all afternoon on various things. (laughs) That doesn't compare to my work life. Does it count as productive? (laughs) It's so interesting that you bring that up. I, you know, the house for me has been a spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. I really felt led to buy a fixer upper. I know that might sound a little odd, but I felt like my spiritual path in this was to learn how to create beauty from a mess and to learn how to be at peace and chaos. And so admittedly, I have spent maybe two hours working on the, on the house this week so far, and it's a Thursday. So there are weeks where I don't spend a lot of time working on it. And there are weeks where I spend more time. And certainly it's also taught me how to ask for help and to mm-hmm. accept help. So maybe just to kind of get more existential again, maybe the things that we bring into our lives or the things that happen in our lives are we can choose to fight them and resist them, or we can just choose to ask um, what it has to teach us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so am I off base on that one then thinking that maybe you, you did worry about like the time that was being put into this project or did you have the kind of awareness going in of this is important, you've done a lot of the work before that point? To be honest, it was just a, a, it was sort of a knowing and intuition I had that this was my right path. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I was going to struggle. I am a person who does not like to live in chaos. I, I like to have my space organized and everything all painted nicely. And to be honest, I did not estimate the amount of time I needed to spend working on the house. And so, yes, it has been a lesson in learning how to manage my frustration around that and learn how to do a work-life balance. Because literally, as we were talking about earlier, my office is three steps away from where I sleep. Thankfully, it has its own door. (laughs) But learning how to live in that, and that has been a big shift in my work life in the in the past two years certainly and as we start to wrap up do you have any kind of general tips you're finding come up in working with your own clients around managing burnout and particularly managing burnout with factors like that of working from home and creating this work-life balance yeah I would say in its very simplest definition burnout is a disconnection it's a disconnection from within yourself. It's a disconnection from one's work or sense of vocation, which is different than work. And it's a disconnection from a sense of meaning or something greater. For people who identify as spiritual or theistic, that might be a disconnection from their relationship with God or sense of spiritual practice. If you're not a theist, it might be a disconnection from a greater sense of meaning. Mm -hmm. So the answer is to learn how to reconnect in one or all of those areas. And that is a process of sitting in with yourself, becoming aware of where you're disconnected. And that's a hard thing to do, especially if you're a high high achiever. It's hard to literally sit down, force yourself to sit and, and acknowledge things aren't working or I'm not productive or I can't. Yeah. I mean, even just to take the time to sit and maybe go to therapy or go out in nature. 
for a high achiever can be, it's, it can be hard to take 20 minutes in one's afternoon to do that. So sit in, feel it, examine where the disconnections are and develop a path to reconnect. Yeah, no, you're right. It's so tricky and it's so easy to fall into the trap of, well, maybe I just need to work harder. Maybe I need to be tougher mm-hmm. on myself. Maybe I need to filter out the life part of work life and then it'll get better. You know, one day in the future, I'll have a day off. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I'm partly calling myself out there. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's tricky. It's so tricky to get this right and to have, yeah, had the kind of disrupted past two years that we've had, lose all routine and then be like, okay, what routine did I have? Did I want any of that? <laughs> a lot of questions. But no, I, mm-hmm. I so appreciate your perspective on this. And so as we wrap up, are there any final messages you want to share on, on burnout? And then we'll talk about your wonderful writing. I would just wish to the listener that you just acknowledge that you are in a state of crisis and that's okay. It's okay to slow down. It's okay to do what you need to do to find a way to reconnect yourself. For sure. And of course, you have so much experience talking about this, partly because you wrote a whole book related to burnout. Do you mind sharing a bit about that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Beyond Burnout, What to Do When Your Work Isn't Working for You. You can find it on Amazon. It was published in October 2020. And interestingly, I had written and submitted the manuscript before the pandemic ever hit. And so I wrote, I think, a little author's note right before it was published, just adding a little perspective on the pandemic and how it has impacted us. Um, I think readers would find the book to be pretty mystical. It is written from a Judeo-Christian perspective, but I think any reader who identifies as having a a spiritual frame of reference or a theistic view would, would find it to be applicable or useful. And if people want to find your work more generally, you've got a website as well? I do. It's amyohanna.com, A-M-Y-O-H-A-N-A. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bobby. It's so great to be here. (laughs) Thank you. And just before we finish recording, I was going to ask you, how how are you feeling after that conversation? Because we were joking off air about whether we might end up feeling burnt out talking about burnout. (laughs) I actually feel full of energy. I think this connection with you today has just, I just, I'm just, I know we're on Zoom, but I'm just picking up since such a sense of peace from you. And it's lovely to be able to share some moments together, even with someone who is a, who is a stranger across the world and share heart space and connect. And really, that is another piece of resolving burnout too, is that connection, not just within ourselves, but with others who may be sharing this experience, who may be experiencing burnout as well. Mm -hmm. I love that. And the final thing I'll say, and then we really will wrap up, is I'm so glad you said that because I think, again, that's such a common experience that we went into a lot of pandemic restrictions and we missed so much of being among people. And then we come out of it and we sort of crave that back. And I think myself and a lot of people are realising, well, what I thought I missed was maybe different. It wasn't the crowds I missed. It wasn't the busy commute. It wasn't, you know, busy shopping malls or whatever else. It was seeing the people I really care about. 
And I think that's been hopefully a good reminder for a lot of people that 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 deep connection, getting to really talk things through and be Mm. around people that we really care about, that's where we draw the energy from. You know, standing on a crowded commuter train, maybe less so. You are absolutely right about that. And I think that is probably one of the biggest learnings that I have taken away from this whole pandemic experience is just, just again, such a, a reminder of how important our connections mm-hmm. with each other are. Yeah. It's healing and it's how we stay whole. Yeah. Yeah. So let's prioritize those connections and thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For a list of our recommended resources, visit mentalpodcast.co.uk. And remember, we are in no way a substitute for qualified counselling or other mental health support. Our show is edited and produced by the brilliant Pete Murta with licensed music by NetSky. Links in the description. Speak to you next Thursday. And remember, you are enough.